Uh, that's one of my all-time favorite worship songs. Uh, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Kara and I did. Ate too much. Learned how to fry a turkey, which is progress from last year. And we kept Moose from eating the fried turkey this year, uh, which is a huge blessing uh, for any of you familiar with that situation. Uh, we got to spend some time with family. Got to go see my grandma uh, for a day in Columbia. And then went to see Kara's family. And uh, while we were visiting with Kara's family, we got on the topic of board games and playing games and how that doesn't typically go well at 205 South Peter Street, Claxton, Georgia. That's my address in case you didn't gather that. Um, Because my wife is very competitive. I mean, I'm very competitive. Uh, And uh, she insists that I cheat. I, however, do not cheat. She's just not good at board games. But anyways... Um, so we're talking about board games, we're talking about playing games, and, and I, I've got this sermon in the back of my head um, that I'm thinking about and had a ton of trouble trying to come up with how to really introduce the idea. Um, but we're talking about games. And I think of the game Jenga, uh, or Jenga, however you say it. Um, some of you are familiar with the giant set that was sitting on my front porch for about three months before our wedding. Uh, but in the game Jenga, the point of it is to stack up blocks and then... Each person strategically removes a block and puts it on top until the tower falls over, right? Yeah? You're familiar with that? All right, listen, I'm going to need y'all to talk back with me this morning. You know, I'm on that trip to fan trip from the turkey just like all of y'all, so let's work. Can we work together this morning? Okay, this side of the church is going to work with me this morning. This side I'm going to try and work with y'all. We're going to work on it, okay? Um, so the, the point of the game is to make the tower flop over. Well, in this block, or in this tower... There's one block. That's the key, right? That's the one block. See, some of y'all think I'm going cornerstone here, and I'm not. This one block holds the power as to whether or not the tower is going to fall or stay up. What happens when that one block gets moved? The tower falls. As long as that one block is in place, the tower is going to stand. This morning we're going to look at that one block in the life of a believer. We're going to look at the power that faith gives a believer. We're going to look at the powerful faith of a believer. If you will, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 17. We're going to look at the very beginning of the chapter. Luke chapter 17, verse 1. He said to his disciples, It is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to him through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he would cause one of these little ones to stumble. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times a day saying, I repent, forgive him. And the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea and it would obey you. Which of you having a slave plowing or tending sheep will say to him 
when he has come in from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat. But will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat and properly clothe yourselves and serve me while I eat and drink? And afterward, you may eat and drink. He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded, you say, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we ask that the Holy Spirit speak it truthfully to our lives today, Lord, that we may interact with you and that your word may imprint itself on our lives and that our lives may reflect you to our community. God, we love you. It's your name we pray. Amen. So as we're looking at this passage, we can see roughly four main ideas that are presented about faith. So first, a small amount of faith empowers believers. A small amount of faith empowers believers. Look back at verses 5 and 6. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea. And it would obey you. Anybody know how big a mustard seed is? Itty, itty, bitty. I looked for a picture of it, and it's really hard for a picture to do it justice. It's so small. It's smaller than like a pea. What does this tell us about the power of faith? Well, it tells us that the power of faith is incredible if just a mustard seed-sized faith would command a mulberry tree to be uprooted and be planted into the sea. And then what does it say about our faith? And how we live our lives. Do we live our lives empowered by this small amount of faith? Or do we live our lives questioning what the Lord has already promised us? See, I love that song that Philip Milligan sang because part of that verse is, I know that it is finished. I know that it is finished through Christ's death and resurrection. It's done. There's nothing we can do. There's nothing we have to do. To change that, we just have to have faith in Christ. I went out of order a little bit for these points, just for this first point, so that we establish that a small amount of faith empowers believers. You see, the disciples, they hear what Christ is telling them in verses 1 through 4, and they're like, wait a minute, that's a pretty steep bargain, Jesus. What, don't call someone else to slip up? What, forgive someone seven times if they come and ask for it? That's kind of hard. I can't do that. And that's exactly right. We can't do that. Jesus even gets down to the point where he, called, where he says, you know, to respond to the, to the master, we are unworthy slaves. We've only done what, we've been, what we ought to have done. We can't do on our own. The disciples recognized that. They knew that they couldn't keep the standard that Jesus set by themselves. But they knew that they didn't have to. We can see that because in verse 6, what do they ask the Lord? It's in verse 6. Increase their faith. Increase our faith, Lord. They knew they couldn't meet the standard, but they knew who could. And they knew how they had to 
attain this standard, which was through faith in Jesus. And Jesus affirms that by saying, faith the size of a mustard seed. We see this again in Matthew 17, where Jesus says, Because of the littleness of your faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. But this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. So yes, a small amount of faith in Jesus will make you unstoppable or make things impossible to you as long as those things fall in line with the will of God. But if we have faith in Christ, and the only way we can have faith in Christ is through Christ, right? Christ revealing himself to us and drawing him to himself. If we're becoming like him, once we've placed our faith in Christ and the Holy Spirit lives within us, then we're made like Christ, making us able to align our will with the Father's will or aligning our will for us with the Father's will. Faith the size of a mustard seed empowers believers to do things that would be otherwise impossible. Faith in Jesus empowers believers to live above reproach. As we go back to verses 1 and 2, we see where Jesus says, He said to his disciples, It is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to him through whom they come. What is a stumbling block? I don't make cricket sounds, but whistle. Something that's a hindrance, something that causes us to fall. When I was a a little kid, um, a lot of times, I I don't know how many times I busted my lip open and had to have stitches. It was a ton. Because my mom, this was before my parents got divorced, my mom had these little cinder blocks in the front yard. And our front yard was not level. Okay, there were roots and everything else in it. And I would walk and never, it would never fail. There was space just far enough for me to trip on one, hence the stumbling block, and bust my face on the other one. Okay, stumbling blocks, they cause us to fall. They cause us to fall into sin. Jesus felt pretty strongly about being or about people being stumbling blocks. He said to his disciples, it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to him through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he would cause one of these little ones to stumble. So we see that people are going to cause others to stumble. But we also see that Christ expects us not to be those people. Christ sets the standard high. And he knew that he was how they could attain that standard. We live in a world today that's lost. Would you agree with that statement? The world is lost. Completely lost. Can we expect lost people to act saved? No, so are lost people going to cause others to stumble and and sway with them and go their way? Yes. Can we be mad at them for that? No, because they're lost. But what we can do is we can give them the gospel. Okay, but Jesus is setting the standard for us. Don't be a stumbling block because this is what should happen to a stumbling block. Does anybody know what a millstone is? A big stone. Okay, it was a stone that was used to grind grain. And these stones 
were so big that they had to be pulled by a donkey. The literal translation of that word would be a donkey's stone. So Jesus isn't playing about this. Which is a direct challenge to me as I was sitting there watching Carolina get their tails handed to them last night up and down the field. And a bunch of Clemson fans posting a lot of stuff on Facebook that really made me angry and sitting next to a really happy Clemson fan, which I love with my whole heart. (laughs) But I became very convicted because I knew that I was going to come here today and talk about not being a stumbling block. So if I were to go out there and post something about how rude and disgraceful and all this stuff about somebody else. Well, am I setting the example? Am I living my life above reproach? Or am I possibly letting somebody stumble? Am I possibly either enraging someone else? Or am I setting an example that does not point people to Christ, but points people to me and my pride? We can't be stumbling blocks. Jesus felt so strongly about it that he said that it was better for someone to drown. Jesus didn't really go after the whole death thing a whole, whole lot in the Bible, did he? As far as it's better for someone to drown than to do this. Now, he did say in the book of Matthew that if your, sin, if your hand causes you to sin, then chop it off. Or if your eye causes you to sin, then gouge it out, right? Mm, we're getting there. We're working. He did. So, if your own hand is your stumbling block, what should you do? Cut it off. So if you have a friend who's a stumbling block for you, what should you probably do? Don't chop their head off. But cut that off. I absolutely want them to see Jesus, but they're not going to meet Jesus by us living the way they live. They're going to meet Jesus by us living the lives that we're called to live. And the only way we can live the life that we're called to live is if we place our trust and faith and hope in Christ. And the power of his resurrection. Don't be a stumbling block. Your faith empowers you to not be a stumbling block. You're going to notice a trend here that none of these points are going to be about you and what you do. I'm getting ahead of myself and I don't really care that much. It's not about what we can do. It's about what Christ is doing in us. Our faith is not dependent on who we are as people because if it was, we'd be in a really, really bad place in a really, really bad spot. Our faith empowers us to live above reproach. Next we see that faith in Jesus empowers believers to forgive. Our faith in Jesus empowers believers to forgive. Verses 3 and 4 Be on your guard, and if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times and returns to you seven times, saying, I repent, forgive him. Is Jesus literally saying right here seven times? So, like, you got to keep your little tally going. Oh, 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 dude, you're on strike six. You better not mess up again. No. And another, uh, another... Passage in scripture says not seven times, but 70 times seven. Okay, in my old little Bible that I used to study in in high school, I have a little sticky note that says 77 equals infinity. Christ isn't calling us to just forgive somebody a certain number of times because why? 
because he forgives me, because he forgives you, and I'm so thankful that he doesn't keep a counter on that. But see, believe, uh, believers, yes, believing in Jesus does go against our nature. But to forgive others goes against our nature. It goes against who we are. We can see in Galatians 5, 17 that the flesh is set against the spirit. Everything about who we are in our flesh, in our human nature, however you want to say it, is directly against Christ and who he calls us to be. But thankfully, he doesn't leave us alone. He gave us the Holy Spirit. He gave us the Holy Spirit to make us like Christ who forgives us. Romans 8, 13. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. By what? If by you you're putting to death the deeds of the body? By the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body. You will live. Forgiveness isn't easy. And it's not really something that any of us voluntarily choose. How many of you just wake up every day in your own strength saying, I'm going to forgive everybody who's ever done me wrong today? I had a hard time this morning forgiving the person who cut me off in the line of Parker's. Especially when it took them like 17 minutes to get their food out the drive-thru window. I was like, go inside. (laughs) That gets an amen from Mr. Ferris. But see, it's not about me. It's in my own strength. I wanted to get out of the car and be like, hey, bro, I know you're probably on your way to church too, but you'd have probably done a lot quicker to go inside and get it for yourself too. And then me and my wife would be on our way. That would have been very graceful though, would it? I wouldn't have been very forgiving, would it? No, but that's me and my strength and my own strength. But we're not in our own strength. We're in the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us when we give our lives to Jesus, when we place our faith in Christ. I feel like every time I preach, I say the same thing 27 times. But I think that's okay. Because when you leave, I want you to remember that the point is that our faith has to be in Jesus. And what that faith can then do for us. I'm going to challenge you right now. Look around, church. It's like, take a second and gander. What do you see? People. You see the body. Okay, what else do you see? Empty chairs. Okay. Do you believe that if we're living out our faith, if we're living in the power of our faith, if we're forgiving our brothers, if we're... um, living our lives as an example to others, that naturally people will be drawn to Christ through how we live our lives? Absolutely. And if we don't believe that, then we don't believe in the power of Christ. We must seek Him out. We must place our faith in Him or we'll see the results of not putting our faith in Him. And the result of not putting our faith in Christ is death. But if we're living in that power, then we know that it's finished. We know that it's already done. We know that we can go and live boldly in our community, drawing others to Christ, not through who we are, but through, he, through who he is in us. Lastly, we see the faith in Jesus empowers believers to be obedient to the call of Christ. 
Just as we uh, just talked about, faith in Christ is the only way that we can live obedient lives. We see in Hebrews eleven six, 6, uh, where it says, And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. We must seek the Father. If we look at verses uh, 7 through 10, which of you, having a slave plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat? But will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat and properly clothe yourself and serve me while I eat and drink? And afterward you may eat because he did the things which were... Skip the line, I'm sorry. Uh, while I eat and drink, and afterward you may eat and drink. He does, not thank, he does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded, you say we are unworthy slaves, and we have done only that which we ought to have done. Christ is teaching through parable right here. But he's talking directly to us. See, when we... When we live up to these standards that he's setting, understanding that the only way we can live up to those standards is through faith in him. It's not something to be boasted about, but it's something that we're expected to do by being Christ followers. Brother Matt says repeatedly that you're an example of a Christian, whether it's a good example or a bad example. When people see you and see where you're coming from on Sundays, see where you're coming from on Wednesday nights, see that you claim Christ, you represent Jesus to them. I represent Jesus to them. And I know that I don't always do a good job. But I do know also that through faith in Christ, I can do a better job through the increasing of my faith in Him and trusting that He is who He says He is, I can do a better job. That, we don't, that I don't need to be thanked for doing what I do, but that I need to grow in Him so that I can do better at what I do. Does that make sense? We must strive to trust Him. And the only way we can do that is by saying, Lord, increase my faith. Lord, reveal to me You. Show me who you are. Change my heart so that I can be more like you. You want to see revival break out in Claxton? That's how we do it. We let our faith in Jesus grow. And as a result of that, we see James say that faith without works is dead. Okay, well, as a result of our faith, we will produce works. Right? We believe that when we give our lives to Jesus, when we place our faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us. And then in Galatians 5, we see the fruits of the Spirit living in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. We see those fruits within us. But where does it all start? It starts at faith. It starts at that one little block the size of a mustard seed. So where are you today? Knowing that it's not about us, it's not about what we can do for us, it's not about who we are. It's all about what Jesus did for us and all about what he's doing in us. 
Where are you today? Are you like me, who a lot of times needs to fall on my face and say, Lord, increase my faith because I'm not representing you? Have you ever placed your faith in Jesus to begin with? Because I can tell you that all of these things, while they are are results of having faith in Christ, they will better your life. How, How can placing, take a moment and think, how can placing more faith in Christ directly change your daily life today? Let me make this clear. I'm not saying that somebody like doesn't have enough faith. Me. But how can placing more faith in Jesus Christ change your daily life today? As you're thinking about that, think about the things that have to change for that to be the case. And I urge you to cry out, Lord, let your faith increase in me let my faith in you increase make you greater make me less so as they come to the instruments this morning I challenge you to respond accordingly to that I know that I'm the youth pastor okay, I know I'm not brother Matt but I will pray with you believe it or not think about it and challenge yourself to think How can I increase my faith? And what will happen if I increase my faith? I'm thankful that it's not about who I am. I'm thankful that there's nothing I could ever do for myself to gain salvation. But it's all about what Christ has done in me. I hope that as you stand and respond, that you'll take the opportunity to fully engage with the Lord. Don't worry about the person sitting next to you and the joke they just said. Don't worry about what time it is. You got plenty of time. Don't worry about all the other things going on in this world. Focus on what would happen if we would commit today to live fully in the power that Jesus gives us when we put our faith in him. Think about it. How crazy would it be? And I'm not saying that it's in the Lord's will for me to uproot the pecan tree in my yard with my words, but how crazy would it be if we lived in the power and the belief that knowing that when we went out and spoke the word of God and spoke who he is, that people would respond and be drawn to him. We wonder why the world is so lost. But we don't want to go and do. Let's let that faith empower us to go and do this week. Let's let that faith empower us to go and preach the gospel boldly, knowing that the Holy Spirit is going to work and knowing that he is going to draw those who need him.